If you're the sort of person who is even just mildly obsessive about the music you listen to, then you'll probably recognize the instinct to want to share those records with your friends. You may also have learnt over time that this is often met with indifference. Yeah, it's alright. Over time, you perhaps learn to keep it to yourself. I love this, and I'm not going to let your disinterest diminish my enthusiasm. It's your loss. But of course, you know it's also your own loss, because the instinct to share great art is born out of altruism. It also validates us to some extent. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Yeah? It's amazing, isn't it? Temporary Fandoms is a group of music obsessives who've created a space where you can share your enthusiasm with other people. From time to time, you'll still meet with that indifference, but there are enough of us out there that you'll usually come across somebody who really does hear what you hear. It's an amnesty for those who want to foist their favourite records on each other. You might think that the Temporary Fandoms remit is to study the pantheon of supposedly great artists, and from time to time we will go there. But we're at our best when we're proceeding in a spirit of discovery, making one another listen to the obscure, the weird and the forgotten. It's in this spirit that we'll bring you the subject of today's episode. The Butthole Surfers. You know the drill by now. We'll pick our way through their complete discography, giving a blend of cultural context and an entirely personal opinion. So listen with us, and if you feel so inclined, join the discussion at facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. Welcome back to Temporary Fandoms, episode five, I guess. I think it's five. I mean, the Mercury counts as two, right, Nick? It was two episodes, so yes. Exactly. So this is episode five. Um, looking at our, our podcast stats, we have a whole 70 unique listeners for the last oh, few right. episodes. Um, and obviously what you do when you are slowly building up a dedicated following of people um, by having things like the Pogues and the Mercury Prize and popular music that people <laughs> want to get into is you don't try to alienate them. Nick, what are we doing today? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be listening to the butthole surfers, Ewan. Sweet. <laughs> this is not the one I tell my mum about. I'm going to say that you know this one doesn't doesn't exist. Um, before we dive, in... okay, I'm I'm going to be honest here. There's going to be a lot of accidental and slightly deliberate butthole puns throughout this. I can't help myself. So before we dive into the butthole, um, let's quickly see who else we've got here. Some voices you may recognize because obviously you have listened to the Mercury Prize uh, episodes. We've got Brendan. Hey, Brendan. How's it going, Ewan? Not too bad. How are you? You know, fine. Ready to do this. Sweet. And we've also got Aaron. Hello there. Hey, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing amazingly. Good, good, good. Last time we heard from you guys, Aaron was talking about what album? I was talking about Michael Kiwanuka's self-titled album, Kiwanuka. That was it. Um, and Brendan had um, sports team. Was that correct? Yeah, deep down happy. It's all right. Still listen to it now and again. So. Sweet. Okay, so um, as I said, as we were coming in, this is episode five. But Nick, would you like to tell everybody about our new home? 
Oh, yeah. Okay. So the big news since our last podcast um, is that we now have a new home, which is on the website Beat Rehab. So we've got our own URL, which is beat.rehab slash tempfans, I believe. I didn't check that, actually. If I were more professional, I would have checked that before the podcast so that I could be sure. But I'm pretty sure that's right. There's, there's Google. They can Google Beat Rehab Temp Fans. Um, as if you want all the information, links to various things, the easiest places to go over there. We'll post some information about stuff we're doing over on the Facebook group occasionally. Um, but also, obviously, if you're listening to us on any of your normal pod things, we still exist there. And of course, there are the Spotify playlists where we slice the podcast and sort of take you through a guided listen, I guess. Um, usually we use the word curate, but I'm starting to really hate the word curate. Um, so hopefully we can find, find a new one. Um, okay, so to my shame, although I might have a totally different opinion after listening to, to this, this stack of records, um, I don't really know the butthole surfers. I, I feel I should, as they are very similar to a lot of bands I would have listened to in my sort of formative teenage years. Um, and in fact, the first time I even heard of them, I was handed a, a, a mixtape by my, by my mate Simon, who I think joined the Facebook group maybe last year. And it had lard, gay bikers on acid, half man, half biscuit, wedding present, and finished off with Hurdy Gurdy Man by the, the Butthole Surfers cover. And I loved that. I loved that whole thing, that, that whole tape. It was amazing. Hmm. And I never went and listened to anything else ever. Hmm. Nick, why am I wrong? <laughs> Well, Why was I wrong? Particularly because I know you're a big Gay Bikers on Acid fan. Uh, when, when I listened to Gay Bikers on Acid, it was obvious they'd been listening to the Butthole Surfers. And also just even just down to the way they named tracks, named their album. They were, they were, they were chasing the Butthole Surfers, I think. They, they, there was a moment they were supposed to work together uh, really? or tour together. And Gay Bikers on Acid released uh, a song called Fairway to Heaven, literally about golf. And Hairway to... Steven, which is the fourth album, third, fourth album, I can't remember, um, was coming out and there was apparently beef in the music press. And then they, but there was nothing. It was made up by scumbag music journalists. Um, Nick, why are you uh, well, a, a Butthole Surfers I, fan? I first discovered the Butthole Surfers as a sort of a teenager in the late 80s. Um, I was a big Dead Kennedys fan and records that came out on alternative tentacles always had like a kind of photocopied insert inside with a list of all the other bands you could order from alternative tentacles. And I guess at that time, like that, that was how you found your music and you kind of, you thought, this is what I like. I want more like that. And there were bands I discovered through that, like no means no, uh, the bottle surfers, Alice donut, uh, the Beatniks, a lot of bands that kind of, I would buy purely because they were alternative tentacles. And therefore I thought, well, I, that'll be amazing. And, um, in particular, I mean, there was only one, I think, only one Butthole Surfers record that came out on Alternate Tentacles, and it was the debut EP, which we will be listening to, uh, Brown Reason for Living, amongst other things. And, um, and and it was just so different to everything else I'd heard. It was insane. And I loved it. I just, I loved it. The, I mean, it's it's quite juvenile. It's very scatological. Um, but... I wanted everything to sound like that. I just thought it was incredible. And, and then 
And then also like a Rembrandt pussy horse, which went in another direction, which is a little bit more experimental and just weird. And, you know, I guess, I guess at that time I was into stuff like David Lynch as well. And I think, you know, there was a crossover there and that just that kind of weird okay. culture. So it was, it was, that, it was the weird alternative, like nothing else. Yeah. Vibe. It sounded so dangerous. And by all accounts, their early live shows probably were, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, I was going to go to Brendan, but Brendan seems to be walking across a garden at the moment. So I'm going straight to Aaron. Aaron, um, <laughs> I can't resist. Are you a butthole virgin? I'm editing that out. I'm sorry. No, you're not no, Aaron. Don't go there and then cut it out. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very nearly a butthole virgin. Um, I don't know very much about them. I, I have heard a bit of the early stuff. I owned Electric Larry Land, but I wasn't a huge fan. It was one of those I bought in a in a dollar bin and I listened to it a couple times and just wasn't too, uh, just wasn't a big fan. Um, but they were on my radar because I worked with, uh, this one guy, Randy, who was, he, he was a, a groupie of them back when they were in Austin, when they're first getting started, he told me stories of their shows and they were just sounded like they're just mushrooms and acid and insanity. And, um, Daniel Johnson was a big fan. This, this guy, Randy was actually his, uh, his manager. He was one of the guys that Randy, that uh, Daniel actually attacked. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 that, right? it was like, you know, the story about Daniel Johnson, where he wouldn't record on a record label because they'd signed, say, Metallica? Yes, right? it was. Um, and, and, and just, 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 for, just for a little bit, of, little bit of context, I have been, I'm, we'll be pushing to do a Daniel Johnson uh, episode, maybe in season. Yeah, sure. We should do that. But um, yeah, no, I think it was, it was Metallica. In fact, one of the things I did remember hearing about the whole surface, which didn't make me feel good about them, was that maybe they were the ones that introduced uh, psychedelic drugs to a man with bipolar. And I imagine it was a sort of yeah. shits and giggles type affair. And yeah. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was the interview in the documentary where he denied it, but he had this little smirk on his face where you could tell that he was lying. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's it. There's, there are, as Nick says, lots of stories of a proper rock and roll excess or punk excess or just excess uh, that I knew about with the butthole surfers. Okay, um, I'm going to go over to Brendan, but all I can see is a car. I think he's there. Brendan is there. Okay. Well, so, let's um, also, a mic in my... <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do that again. I'll do that again. Um, okay, and finally, we got like we said, we got we got Brendan who is currently sitting in his car somewhere in Boston. Um, it's not in motion before anybody uh, worries. Uh, Brendan, uh, where are you? Are you on the? You, you know a lot about the butthole surfers. Nothing about the butthole surfers. Well, I mean, when you're growing up and you're you know you're starting to hear about new. Uh, weird bands out there and you stumble upon a name like butthole surfers it becomes that sort of contraband that you sort of need to have right you feel like oh my god this is the thing that's going to get me finally kicked out of the house if i have a record called butthole surfers and so you know once i heard the name i'm like my god i gotta get my hands in this of course it never left that stage of just being like oh i need to get my hands in this because i was a you know i was a good little boy but, um, but over time, you know, I picked up a uh, locust abortion technician. Certainly, I think my entryway was through Jesus Built My Hot Rod. Um, 
and uh, who was in my room, but I was definitely aware of P. I was sort of aware of him, but it really wasn't until I read Our Band Could Be Your Life, which is a phenomenal book to read about little chapter length histories about various underground bands in the 80s. And the Butthole Surfers chapter is, is so great, you want to read it out loud to any human being who's willing to listen. I mean, it's just chock-a-block with so many, I can't believe they actually did this stories that you, you just want to become a super fan. So I can imagine if I had not been in like grade school, but maybe like in, in college or something, I would have probably been all over this just for the sheer spectacle. Because, you know, some of the bands that I'm thinking of when I was older, like La Save Fav and Oxes, who had these ridiculous shows, you know, the music was almost immaterial, but I always think fondly of them. I feel like if I had been a little bit older, I would have felt that way about the Butthole Surfers. Yeah. Um, how do you pronounce the album? Was it P? No, 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 no. He was talking about the band P, which was uh, the band that Gibby Haynes formed with Johnny Depp. Oh, okay. oh, right. Yeah, I know nothing. Um, yeah. I rapidly realized on most of these episodes, I'm the guy that knows nothing. And in fact, the other day, my wife went, oh, you know that song? It was like really popular pop song. I was like, she played it for me off Spotify. I went, never heard it in my life. And apparently it's like the third most downloaded song of all of the last 10 years. And I, no idea. And then I realized I have a mu I, I'm on a music podcast, so maybe I need to start listening to more stuff. So um, you have a deep knowledge of the gay bikers on acid, and that's really all that matters. I think so. I think so. Um, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go off and listen to way too much Butthole Surfers. Um, I'm going to leave you, dear listener, in the capable hands of Nick, who is going to guide you through this. I mean, I can only apologize. This, this sort of... What's, what are you going to guide them through, Nick? <laughs> I'm going to guide you through the butthole surfers. You've got nine records to listen to. Um, in the playlist version, you'll get two tracks from each record. Um, but really, go and listen to it all, because it's amazing. Except towards the end, when it's not so good. But, you know. <laughs> well, in that case, Nick's going to guide you through the good, and then the bad, and then we're going to come back at the end and we'll see you in probably about an hour of your time. Um, we'll tell you what we think, and then you can disagree with us. You can come over onto the Facebook group and subscribe to podcasts and like playlists and all of the stuff I'm supposed to tell you to do. And Nick will be back after this. This is the bit where I'm supposed to record the titles, but... Um... The Bottle Surfers debut EP is a little vague on the title front. It's sometimes just called The Bottle Surfers, sometimes PP the Sailor, sometimes Brown Reason to Live. Anyway, it was released in 1983. We start with an EP to break you in gently, although on Spotify you'll find it lumped in together with the early live recording, Live PCPP EP. This latter release is comprised mostly of the same tracks, but is worth listening to for a glimpse of their turbulent live experience. There's a time to shit, and a time for God. The last shit I took was pretty fucking odd. In this couplet from the opening track, you find the essence of the butthole surfers. It is both scatological and absurd, 
and to complete the effect, it is accompanied by the musical equivalent of a particularly violent voiding of the bowels. One is seldom closer to God. The butthole surfers have their origins in San Antonio, Texas. The brainchild of willfully idiotic frontman Gibby Haynes and like-minded guitar botherer Paul Leary. Formed in 1981, they're considered part of the 80s US hardcore scene, but in Texas at that time, there wasn't much of a scene to speak of. Haynes and Leary were outliers from the start. Just like the legend about how they got their name, they performed under a different name every show until one just stuck. Their debut release is a little unstable on the name front. I always thought of it as a brown reason for living, which was scratched into the run-out groove of the EP, but is variously known as a bunch of other things. Who cares? It's a glorious mess. Released on Jello Biafra's Alternative Tentacles label after the Dead Kennedys frontman saw one of their shows and realised that these guys needed to be captured for posterity. If you make it through the first track, you'll be rewarded with a genuinely delightful hey. Two tracks in and you've already heard both ends of the butthole spectrum. You see, in interviews, the butthole surfers claimed they were deliberately trying to make unlistenable music. Thankfully for all of us, they failed. I find their debut EP a joyous slab of incendiary noise, and if I'm in a receptive mood, it makes me very happy indeed. Rockabilly is always at its best when it's played like a machine on the brink of collapse, and it seldom sounds closer to such disarray as in the butthole surfers' hands. You'll hear snatches of beef fart in Wichita Cathedral, sinister Lynchian creeping noise in Barbecue Pope, and spirited hardcore punk in Suicide. Listen to it for yourself, because I'll be damned if I can do it justice with words. Psychic Powerless Another Man's Sack, 1984. Now we come to the Butthole Surfer's official debut album. Apparently Haynes and Leary couldn't agree on the titles Psychic Powerless or Another Man's Sack, so they just used both. Michael Azarad in his excellent book Our Band Could Be Your Life quotes Leary as having said that what they were trying to do was make the worst possible record. Many of you may think that they achieved it, but I've always found the disturbing sound collages they created to be strangely compelling. The album also marks the debut of the band's double drummer setup, with long-suffering members King Coffee and Teresa Nervosa. A recurring theme on Butthole Surfers records of riffs and motifs lifted straight from Black Sabbath, and in the pounding double drums of Dum Dum, you may hear the Sabs' Children of the Grave. Overall, their hardcore noise took a psychedelic turn on this album, with weird psych-outs like Cherub that would be the staple of future records but there are also elements of surf, blues, and fairly straight punk. The album closes with a bizarre country number called Gary Floyd. There'll be more of this nonsense later. Rembrandt Pussy Horse, 1986. Sub Pop's Bruce Pavitt called this the coolest record ever made, and I'm not about to argue with him. It's certainly my favorite, but Whole Surfer's record. It may also have been the first I owned, but I can't be completely sure. What I do know is that I wanted all the records I owned to sound this weird and utterly indifferent to niceties. It doesn't fall back on noisy passages of distorted guitars quite so much as the records both before and after, but achieves its creepy singularity in a wonderfully simple way. Like a housewife, like a rapist, like a teacup, like a bedpan, like a cold sore, like an old friend, nothing seems so removed, but love is hard when you're true. Gibby's peculiar lyrics cut through the shambling noise of the band with a clarity at odds with their utter refusal to yield any sense. The snarling dog on Mark Says All Right is the band's resident pitbull, who was wonderfully named Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad. 
The album also features a drum-heavy cover of American Woman, originally by Canadian rock band The Guess Who. Rembrandt Pussyhorse stands alone in the Butthole's discography as a strangely spectral work of tape-editing magic. Have a listen. Locust Abortion Technician, 1987. For this section, I transcribed the dialogue which opens today's record, but then it occurred to me that there would be some amongst you who've never heard it, and I'd rather you heard it there first. What an opening it is though, and of course it's a piece of wonderfully bad advice that resulted in me buying my first ever dance record, Orbital's debut LP, merely because they'd sampled the butthole surfers. This is another brilliantly horrible record, but I do have to mention the closing track because it might be the one time where the butthole surfer's willful bad taste crosses the line for me. It features a recording of a radio phone-in in which a woman describes being sexually assaulted. In every other instance, their predilection for dark and disturbing things remained on the right side of funny. Personally, I'd rather they hadn't made this song, but then again, I'm not sure they'd be able to live up to their reputation if they didn't cross one of your lines at some point. Michael Azarad notes that the woman was a pathological liar who called the show every night, as though this absolves it of incredibly poor taste. It doesn't, and I'm not sure dismissing her account so glibly makes it any more palatable. Frankly, I'm sorry I'm making you listen to it, but if you see your mom this weekend, be sure and tell her, Satan, Satan, Satan. Sorry, off on a tangent here, but in 1987, the bottle surfers were also responsible for the compilation album, A Texas Trip, which includes a collaboration between the band and Daniel Johnson. I suspect that hanging out with Gibby Haynes didn't do Johnson's bipolar disorder any favours. Hairway to Stephen, 1988. Now, if you're looking on Spotify or YouTube, you'll see that the uh, tracks have titles, but I assure you that they're nowhere to be found on the sleeve of the record. Instead, on the disc itself, there are numbered pictograms. So, for what Spotify is calling Ricky, for example, the record itself merely gives us a picture of a pissing horse. On this record, we bid farewell to Teresa Nervosa, and uh, so the double drummer setup is gone as well. I didn't listen to this record a lot at the time, so I was pretty excited to go back and listen again. Uh, it just continues in the same sort of vein as Locust Abortion Technician, so if you like that one, and many people do, then you'll probably like this one too. They also released an EP called Widowmaker around this time. Also, they released Digital Dump as the Jack Officers, or that was just Haynes and Pinkers with a sample-heavy side project. Naturally, I bought it because it said Bottle Surfers on a sticker on the cover. It sounds incredibly dated, but worth a listen if you like this sort of thing. They also made an 11-minute Texas Chainsaw Massacre spoof called Barbecue Movie. Okay, this is the one with the unpronounceable title. Um, after all the cacophony and fart noises, don't be entirely surprised if it's actually Lonesome Bulldog that finishes you off. But for me, listening to this record again with a massive rush of nostalgia, and try and avoid singing along to Gary Shandling. Also around this time, Paul Leary released a solo album called The History of Dogs, which is as nuts as you'd expect. Oh, and I have to mention Gibby's contribution to Ministry's finest moment, uh, if you have time, as an aside to this immersion, you should listen to Jesus Built My Hot Rod. Al Jurgensen's account of uh, Gibby coming to the studio goes as follows. Uh, 
Gibby came down completely drunk off his ass to the studio we're at in Chicago. He couldn't even sit on a stool, let alone sing. I mean, he was wasted. He fell off the stool about ten times during the recording of that vocal. He made no sense, and it was just gibberish. So I spent two weeks editing tape of what he did. Independent Worm Saloon, 1993. Independent Worm Saloon was the last butthole surfers record I bought. It was a general trend with a lot of music I'd loved for years, where in the wake of Nirvana's huge success, alternative bands started to veer away from punk towards a more traditional or conventional hard rock sound, which I found boring. That said, I was also starting to listen to other things, so maybe I just wasn't in the right place for the bottle surfers in 1993. Tracks like Dust Devil just sound like a bottle surfers attempting to cash in on the success of Jesus Built My Hot Rod, but eh, it's fun. Have a listen. An interesting footnote at this time, P is a surprisingly hard to find supergroup, given that it was a collaboration between Gibby Haynes and Johnny Depp. According to the Wikipedia entry on the band, they were performing in the Viper Room as River Phoenix died on the pavement outside. There are a bunch of tracks on YouTube you can explore if you get the chance. Electric Larry Land, 1996. I don't mind the sun sometimes, the images that it shows. I can taste you on my lips and smell you in my clothes. Cinnamon and sugary and softly spoken lies. You never know just how to look through other people's eyes. As I've already noted, I stopped listening to the Bottle Surfers' new releases before Electric Larryland was even recorded. And yet this album was their biggest hit, including the top 40 hit Pepper, which recently featured on the soundtrack to the Netflix show Umbrella Academy. Whilst it may seem like a relatively straight song for the Bottle Surfers, it does include slowed down passages and a guitar section played backwards. Hardly standard chart fodder. Weird Revolution, 2001. After Electric Larry Land, the bottle surfers started work on After the Astronaut, but for one reason or another, that was abandoned. Some of the tracks intended for that album surfaced later on the bottle surfers' final album, Weird Revolution. It's not an awful record by any stretch, but offers little new, and the songs sound a little dated, a bit like the work of MC 900 Foot Jesus some 10 years earlier. The band still plays the occasional live show, with Jess Pingus on bass again. All in all, it's a pretty stable lineup for such an ostensibly chaotic band. In 2019, the band released a visual history coffee table book called What Does Regret Me? If you're wondering what to get me for Christmas, I quite like a copy, but I also need a coffee table. So welcome back. Um, hopefully you're still here and Nick's guided tour through the history of, well, I don't even know how to describe them. Farts, riffs, squelches, um, insultative, offensive lyrics and, and, and content, um, childish behavior, and some really good stuff. Um, if you're still with us, um, you'll remember that there's myself, Ewan, hello. There's Nick. Hello. We've got Aaron. Hello. Uh, who will have a slight pause when he starts speaking because he's having to press the space bar to talk. And we've also got Brandon. What's up, guys? Hey, man. So um, let's get cracking on this. Um, we started off with, with the EP, um, the early stuff. Um, 
I'm interested. I mean, Brendan, you have a slight history with the butthole surfers. You're more aware of them than, say, Aaron was. Um, I'm interested to go to you first, Brendan. Um, Re-listening to stuff, um, was it that sort of? Um, you said it was sort of like a uh, what? How you describe like a holy grail of 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 something you needed to get your hands on uh, back in the day? It, does it still? Well, yeah, because of the you know a name like that is going to you know ruffle a lot of feathers and stuff and you know the is that the one that had the the the, the shaw dancing on lee harvey's grave you know like mm-hmm. exactly so i mean like this was designed for obviously maximum impact for reaction i think um i think when it was when i was like revisiting all this stuff uh I, I, there's like basically like two butthole surfer songs right they have like two tricks they have the sort of quasi, you know, uh, like punk rockabilly song. And then they've got the thing that's sort of like grooves and drones. And, you know, Gibby is like out of his fucking mind song. And I, I, I think that those ones tend to be a little more interesting to me. I'm not, not that I, 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 I think the thing that was interesting, like looking back at this, is like they're really good musicians. You know, you, you sort of ignore that when you go into listening to the butthole surfers because there's so much, you know, story that comes, you know, preceding them. The name, the shows were supposedly chaotic. Um, they did a lot of drugs, you know, and it's it, incredibly obvious. Almost every story about them is like laugh out loud funny. And so, like, all of this stuff obscures the fact that they could actually play the shit out of their instruments, which I don't necessarily think a lot of other 80s Oh, there, there are some exceptional had. guitar riffs, like going through the last week or so. Um, at times, I would, I admit, hit a wall, uh, and then there'd be a track that would sort of bring me back out of it. But yeah, the one thing I noticed throughout, I was like, my God, there's some serious guitar work in here. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say fully stand, would stand up next to, say, a Jay Mascus, but it would be pretty close at times, you know. Definitely, you could look back and go, yeah, but our service did a lot of really good stuff musically. Um, Aaron, um, you were coming to this, you knew a bit, but you didn't know that much. Um, the EPs, was, were they brand new to you? Actually, the EP was one of the things I had heard before. Okay. Uh, oddly um, enough, because I actually started, there was some other people, I know we're not supposed to discuss the group too much, but some people were going back and listening to some of the old albums and I saw that was going on and I kind of did it a bit and then I got scared away pretty quickly. <laughs> um, just to have a little bit of context, because that, that's going to seem a little bit weird. Before we started recording, uh, as people listening might know, we were originally from a, a Facebook group, which is still going on. And I said, hey guys, let's try not to discuss the group so much. Uh, so now we've got our comment going, well, I'm not supposed to discuss the group. And now I'm actually explaining what that comment means. So yeah. Which, which, is, um, which is even more out of context than talking about the group <laughs> without leave, context. I should just leave the no context. Uh, I think there's a Daniel Kitchen joke. Um, context is everything, as my dad always says. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the silence. The silence and the puzzled looks. Um, so before we move on to Rembrandt Pussy Horse, uh, I'm struggling with names at times. It's been a very long day. Um, anything else about the EP? I don't want to brush over it. Um, Aaron, you look like you're bursting to say something. Yeah, I just think they just come out of the gate kicking with this EP. 
Um, I think it's kind of their their manifesto. They kind of lay out exactly what they're going to be doing, at least in the first phase of their career. You know, weird punk, lots of grindcore elements. You never know what the next song's going to be. You know, you follow grindcore with some like kind of poppy little psychedelic jam. Like it's it's a trip. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Nick, I mean, you're the big fan. I mean, and, and where in the canon if you had to have one of those annoying clickbait web pages of uh, butthole surface albums ranked? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of the really early stuff. That's definitely my favorite stuff. I, I like the chaos of it. That it's just all over the place and it's nonsense and it's fun. They just sound like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I say that, but then there are bits where they sound like they're also having a breakdown. But that's kind of fun too. You know, it's the most fun you can have having a breakdown. Let's put it like that. <laughs> and I did find well, to me, actually, I think it sounds fearless. Hmm. And that's the thing that's like crazy about it is that they, they've sort of like, it's almost like a religious experience. Like everyone is following the mad shaman who's like guiding them through this like chaotic yeah i actually think their early live shows were probably terrifying you know you probably you just didn't know if you were safe yeah. and you probably were i mean there was fire on stage but not like controlled fires there were no technicians there who knew what they were doing they were just messing about and doing dangerous things and see, here we go back to my initial comment is that like, you know, there's so much stuff that predates, you know, like precedes the listening of, of Butthole Surfers. You know, none of us have seen the shows, but what are we talking about? We're talking about those shows. Oh man, they had like backwards video projections of sex change operations. And it's like, wow, that would like blow everyone's fucking mind back in the day. I mean, this is like way before the internet when probably crazy contraband to get their hands on and then force a paying audience to see it. But, but to like Aaron's point, it's like that one thing that was really surprising to me is like how many different genres they were very comfortable at doing. I mean, there's like some very, you know, I, I like sort of twee indie, you know, REM-esque songs in their catalog, which uh, is yeah. like the last thing you'd expect from a band called Butthole Surfers, right? I mean, you'd expect like the insanity you'd expect the you know well we're gonna get to locust abortion technician at some point and i think i think there's definitely a thing uh particularly so the early stuff and talking about how the live shows and the chaos and all of that is while so the pixies were singing about the movie uh what chien and Delu, uh -huh. um but whole surfers seemed to be reenacting the movie Moonshine mm -hmm. Andalou, slicing up eyeballs, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so moving on from the the, the kicking the door in uh, genre smashing EP where they set out their store. Um, Nick, the first album, who was it with again? Have they signed? Who did they sign up with? Um, I think it was Touch and Go. Um, yeah. I mean, they were initially sorry. The first EP was on Alternative Tentacles, which was the Dead Kennedys label or Dead Biafra. When you talked about how they were signed and they went to Alternative Tentacles, um, moving on into the first album, um, for me, Mexican Caravan, is it, it's holiday in Cambodia. When I was listening to it, I was just like... Okay, I can hear that. I never this really is, thought about that. It's, it's the opening, it starts the same, the bass, the drums, and then obviously the vocals go slightly different, but I was genuine, I genuinely looked at my phone and went, oh, am I on shuffle? 
oh no no this is build the butthole surface no one else get that yeah. no I, I mean i i don't recall ever noticing it ever before but i know oh, yeah i mean the the dead kennedy's influence is very big on mm-hmm. this you know on a lot of the early stuff you could totally see why jello would have taken a yeah, chance yeah. with these guys and i think i mentioned i mean the dead kennedy's is totally how i found them you know that's it was because i was a fan of the dead kennedy's and i would scour the the like inserts from their records to find new things to buy and uh but I, I, I think also with that, therein can sometimes like lay the problem. Um, one thing I got from listening to this immersion in, in its entirety, um, and as I said when we when we first started this, I didn't really know them. Uh, I, I, I knew bits of them. I should have known them. They were they would have fell within my my remit at the time. I liked bands influenced by them. I can totally see why they would be someone's favorite band, and if I had got into them when I was maybe 15, even maybe up to 25, I would probably feel the same way about the more obscure, harder, uh, less accessible stuff along the way. At this moment in my life, I can appreciate it, but I don't know whether there's that space for me to go back. And so some of the more, so going to the Dead Kennedys thing, I'm like, oh, this sounds like Dead Kennedys. I'd rather listen to the Dead Kennedys. (laughs) Oh no! <laughs> I don't know. Well, just because we said it, it's like it sounds like the Dead Kennedys. I mean, it's definitely Dead Kennedys adjacent, right? And yeah. it's, it's oh, going back to my band. initial no, I, thesis of like, there's two songs, you know, like there's like the punk rockabilly thing, and then yeah, like, oh yeah, but I would say that Ka- Mexican Caravan literally song. starts off with and I'm like, well, that is just that's the soundtrack. Um, and obviously, yes, there's way more to them than that. And I probably have to spend a couple more months just listening in and out over a bit more time. But there are certain chunks or slots in my uh, musical um, tastes, I guess, that it's harder to go back and refill um, 20 years later. It's, I could listen to a band that remind me of Dinosaur Jr., but my brain would go, yeah, but the Dinosaur Jr. slot's already been taken. And I find it a lot harder as I get older to fit in bands I didn't, I missed back in the day Mm. um, into the slot that existed back in the day. New stuff, brilliant, absolutely. It's easy to do that. Um, But I think for me, there was a lot of the band, the music that was influenced by or similar to things like Dead Kennedys, um, I found a lot easier to listen to and then there'd be a sort of, oh, oh, yeah. If I was 17, I thought I'd find this bit really amazing. I'm, I'm turning 46 tomorrow. Uh, it's a lot of childish welching, you know? I mean, am I listening to it at the wrong period of my life? Aaron, are we listening to it at the wrong period of, of our lives? I, I, I think so, honestly. Um, I don't know, like my experience of listening to this is kind of like, it, it reminded me of going to India. Um, it's, it's just this assault of this, this oral assault of just constant, just crazy bombardment of, of sensory overload. And it's just happening. And and while you're in it, you're really kind of annoyed and, and there's some pleasant things, but, but ultimately it's kind of annoying and you just want to get out of it. And then the second that you leave, you kind of want to go back in. 
Like I thought when I came in here today, I expected to say a bunch of bad things about this band. And then I started going through some of the tracks. I'm like, yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. Actually, that was great. And next thing you know, I found myself thinking like, these are some really great albums start to finish. Even the annoying stuff that when I was listening to it, I hated it. I just listening to it just right before this, I was like, this is really cool. So you spent, you spent the year in India stressing, arguing, hating about everything. Uh, and then you went, now you, now you tell it, now you've come home. You're like, Oh my God, the street food was amazing. Um, Nick, yeah. how, how, how are you, uh, gauging the reaction so far? Uh, it's good. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can totally understand that if you came to them, to them later in your life, probably it wouldn't be as quite the same experience. You might, uh, have less patience for the more puerile elements to, but you know, I mean, I was, um, I guess it was in my late teens when I first heard them and yeah, for a while they were the band I wanted every other band to be like, and, but I mean, not, not that I wanted them to be the, to sound the same necessarily. It was just the, the amount the inventiveness and the, yeah. the insanity of it. And yeah. And the, and the sense that pretty much anything could happen. And, and this is the weird thing like you, you touched upon in the, in the introduction to this pod about how you were surprised. I didn't know more about the surface because I love the band that gay bikers and acid and gay bikers and acid are heavily influenced by amongst other things, uh, but whole surfers and yeah. they were also pure art and they were also childish. And I think they have a bit more of a traditional song structure than maybe butthole surfers, but I can appreciate absolutely over the past week, butthole surfers are in significantly greater musicians, talented songwriters, uh, more important in the history of music. And you know what? I want to listen to more gay bikers than that's it. Yeah, well, sure lost. Someone <laughs> needs to, I guess. Okay, so um, I waffled a little bit, but and we had some good stuff from uh, Brendan and Aaron. Uh, moving on to... Oh uh, yeah, locust abortion technician. Um, before we go on, um, I mean, this is home to the inf the infamous Satan, 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 right? <laughs> um, that that's a top ten opening track right there. <laughs> like everything about it. That introduction is. First of all, this is like the first Butthole Surfers record I heard. So I mean, I may be a little biased, but that introduction is like a hall of fame top 10 i mean that's up there with like smells like teen spirit and you know rock and roll in terms of like fucking knock down the door opening tracks it's just so funny and then to t and to do like the grade z impersonation of uh you know iron man is just brilliant absolutely brilliant it's it's mocking it and it's like canonizing it simultaneously. It, it's a religious experience. Um, Aaron, how were you? How were you four minutes into this album after after your uh, preconceptions and the door was kicked in by um, a not as important as "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Sorry, Brandon. Uh, introduction. Well, I guess I, I do want to want to say that I do uh, agree with Brendan that 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 intro is hilarious. When I was listening to it, I, I didn't expect it. It's the first time I heard it, and the second they said Satan, 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 I I literally burst out laughing, and I and I did not expect that because it's actually really stupid. It's really juvenile. It's a really cheap joke, but by golly, it worked. And, and weirdly, it is a cheap joke, and it is juvenile, but the the song is pretty nasty, right? 
Yeah. I mean, lyrically, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a, thematically, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty hard listen when you start to go, oh, it's, it's literally, abu it's seriously abusive. And I think that was also one of the problems that as I've become this bleeding heart, liberal lefty, as I've got older, things that I would have used to go, oh, yeah, but you know, it's, it's just lyrics, isn't it? I'm now going, yeah, they really push it sometimes to the degrees I'm slightly uncomfortable with. I mean, Nick, you mentioned something, uh, where was it along, uh, in your curation about, was it this album, the track? Yeah, there, I've, I mean, I've already talked about it, but there's a track on it that is, I think, goes a little far. But yeah, but this is it, I mean... One of the tracks, are always... you talking about the found sound one that they manipulated? Um, no, that, oh, cunts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another classic. Okay, I really like that let one. Let me just tick um, parental advisory on the podcast episode. Done. Yeah. Are you talking about, uh, what is it, 26 going on 7? Is that it? Yeah, that one. 22 going on 23. That's, that's... Oh, yeah. Tw yeah. <laughs> but I, I think... I think I'm mixing we... it up with emo bands. Six I think it would seven. be remiss of us not to, to brush over it a little bit. And, you know, like, obviously, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I mean, you you want to look back and go, yeah, no, I could see what they were doing. They were pushing the boundaries. They were doing this. But also at the time they were taking a lot of drugs. They were drinking a lot. They were, they were giving LSD to Daniel Johnston, apparently for the first time. Um, maybe there was just a thing of, there was no one going, dude, should you be singing that? Oh, that you was, couldn't oh, get away with it now, but then. Absolutely you, not. No way. You be able to get away with yeah. it? No way. Cause so, I think like having been in bands before, Sometimes like you go in with the intention and then you go into the studio and then some mistake happens, you know, like, oh, there's a weird sound that comes out of the amp and you're like, wait a minute, we can do something with that. Or, uh, you know, there's an improvisational moment when no one's paying attention and they still capture that in recording. You're like, you know what, that takes better than what anything else we had going into it. I feel like a lot of these Butthole Surfers records, they may have like had ideas going into it, but they sort of went where the spirit told them. Right. And they may have, they may very well have had, you know, more lyrics for this, but when, it, when push came to shove, they were like, you know what, it doesn't need this because for whatever reason, these sort of happy accidents, it's, it's like a professional happy accident record. Does that make sense? No, totally. It sounds like they broke into a studio and just started messing around with the equipment and just seeing what the heck they could do with all of these weird things they they didn't even know how to use the stuff but they just played around with it to see what happens yeah but but absolutely I remember reading and that they didn't critical. write song that's absolutely critical aaron is that it they're they're figuring it out and we're listening to them try to figure it out mm -hmm. and i think that's that's what's sort of lost when they get like producers toward mm -hmm. the end of the the catalog yeah because people are like oh you know that's not how you do this at all let me let me mic the drums properly and you're like, well, the magic's gone. Like the idea of the bottle surfers writing and recording songs in a structured way just seems totally at odds with what they're about, which is probably why I love the early records the most. I'm gonna go but ahead. I do feel like there's there's one thing also is I do feel like there is there's definitely an element that they're trying to piss people off. Oh, gotcha. Like I think I like when I was talking to 
I sent a message to Nick and, and I think it's when you're listening to, especially some of those first couple albums, it sounds like, like this guy, you know, you're at the bar and, and it's just like getting in your face and just like saying a bunch of horrible insults to your face. And you're like there and you can smell his like sweaty smell and his pupils are dilated probably because he's on acid and, and he's just daring you to punch him in the face. Like that's like, he just wants you to punch him in the face or like, call him I've, some terrible see, name or guy. something like that i've met that guy and i really don't want to think of this band as that guy yeah because that i mean what well, he just nailed it the guy yeah. right in your face on acid you know begging you to punch him that's the band in a nutshell oh so, no absolutely but simultaneously are... you kind of want to kiss him <laughs> Okay, so um, things we have summed up so far. Butthole surfers are spending a year in India, hating every minute of it, but then realizing that you loved every minute of it the second you leave, and some crazy, fucked up, drugged up guy shouting in your face, daring you to punch him. Um, I think this pretty much sums up my experience so far. Um, hopefully not necessarily you, the listener. Um, moving on now to, I mean, all of their album titles are a little bit naff in retrospect, but they hold no up. No way. But no way. This one is the worst album title of all time. It's, it's not up a there. chance. Not a chance. Hellway to Steve. I mean, yeah, come I don't on. like Hellway to Steve, but it's you know, it's an awful song anyway. It sounds like the lazy. It sounds like they were like, "Oh, what should we call the next one?" And, like, and they've spent four years just picking random offensive words out of different bags and sticking them together. And this time they just went, oh, "Let's just change some letters." There we go. Who's got the drugs? You know, it just sounds like they were sort of giving up on the album title front. They, they, there was some effort before, right? Yeah. No. It's, it, you have a, do you, you do you like Spoonerisms, Brendan? Is that what this is about? Well, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. The, the the crap Spoonerism, the the sort of defecation on like a classic rock, you know. And they'll come back to this trope again later on in the in the canon. So yeah, there's a little bit of puzzle making in it. But you know, I think their record titles are all great. I mean, they basically predicted captchas. You know, when they just sort of like throw like a bunch of words up there and you have to type in something to prove you're not a, you know, a, a robot, you know, and they're just totally random shit that just comes out of nowhere. And like they, they, they invented the captures. So for that alone. Um, I, I have nothing to say about this album. Um, I listened to them all back to back over the, a few days and I can't remember this one at all. Mm -hmm. um, the first half, I, I, I talked to Nick, I'm like, I'm almost ready to th say this is the best butthole surfers record. Like the first side A, I thought they were all like tight pop songs. Yeah, they're ridiculous. I saw an x-ray of a girl passing gas, I guess is one of the song names. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's great. But yeah, exactly. it's, it's the loveliest song ever written about. But, it, but, yeah, but it's, it's just like an accomplished indie rock song. Then, the, then we flip it over to side two and, yeah, whatever. They went up their own ass. Whatever. What are you going to do? So. Yeah. And then. Um, yeah, maybe this is what, late 80s? No, no. We're in. Oh, yeah. No, it is actually. It's 88. Sorry. I thought yeah. it was the 90s by the time this came out. It feels 90s when you're listening to it. Yeah. Well, talking about feeling like 90s, let's just, let's just plow on to, through to the next one because we've, we're moving on to Pyode. Pyode. Um, P.O. isn't it? Well, P.O. Sorry, yeah, pissed off. Um, 
This is Hurdy Gurdy Man, right? Yeah, this one we Hurdy Gurdy Man on. This is this was the first track I ever heard. I listen, I was listening to Hurdy Gurdy Man on the way to work the other day, and it came on. I went, oh, brilliant! I went, huh? My memory of it is much greater than the experience of listening to it now. Apart from the guitars, which are still I a, awesome. And a twelve-inch of Hurdy Gurdy Man with about like twenty remixes. <laughs> And the weird vocal effects that he's adding to it, like simulating a hurdy gurdy with his voice or whatever the heck he's doing with that, like it's yeah. great. Anybody got anything better to say than about? Donovan? Anybody got anything about PO'd? There you go. What else do you need to? Well, I mean, we're 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 ignoring the uh, elephant in the room of of the song that just chants Gary Shandling's name. Yeah. For like yes. minutes. <laughs> I, I mean, that is like. The only reason to listen to that record, as far as I'm concerned, I think the rest of it's kind of by the I numbers. I had to look up to see if I Gary Shandling like was popular. I didn't man very much, to be honest. It seemed a little safe. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, opinions seem to be a lot stronger about the earlier stuff, but then the earlier stuff is probably designed to get more opinions. We're moving now into sort of uh, two albums, Independent Worm Saloon and Electric Larry Land. Um, Electric Larryland, uh, I'm going to jump slightly ahead and go, that's an album I had never listened to before, and that is my favourite Butthole Surfers album, really? full stop, no. by, what? by a distance. Wow, okay. Um, but again, I think that's that's the age of me now. Um, tracks like um, Aha, that is Husker Du. That's a Bob Mould song, like, from start to finish. And I love Bob Moore. I love Husker Du. So that's you like right. the whole Surfers album because they don't remind you of the Bottle Surfers. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got then you've got Pepper, which is, let's be honest, Pepper is probably, I mean, mid-90s were a bit, American alternative rock sort of went to sleep for a couple of years between, say, 95 and sort of 97. Um, and this was the one I remember noticing coming out of the, of, of the US at the time. Um, I think it was also because it reminded me of bits of uh, Nine Snails, Nitzra, but also weirdly, in retrospect, Eels. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I loved Electric Larry Land. I can see why um, Butthole Surfers fans would hate me for it. Oh, no, I know. Um, but yeah, I'm like, no, this was, this was a good album, start to finish. Good, solid indie album, indie rock. They sort of thrashed about a bit, but they didn't break anything. And everything they did break, they paid for, cleaned up after themselves. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, because I, I I, I'm surprised by that just because I thought it was kind of an album that pleased nobody because it didn't, you know, it wasn't going to please the Butthole Surfers fans because, you know, they toned everything down so much. And to everyone else, it was just, I don't know, it wasn't, it was neither here nor there. I think it might have been the fact that because, and we've all been probably gone through this over the last week or so, listening to them back to back, there were times that it probably got a bit much um, and certain things became inaccessible and I should have gone and listened to it again, but then I went straight on to the next album. And then I got to this album that was so familiar to me despite never really hearing it before, apart from the one track, uh, that I went, yeah. This is a nice little break. I'm going to stop and have a sandwich here. This is lovely before plowing on and seeing what, what, what ever, everything came later. Um, Brandon, how are you with, um, uh, well, I, I skipped forward an album, but how are you with the mid-90s buttholes? Well, yeah, the Independent Worm Saloon and what is it, After the Astronaut and Electric Larry Land. 
So I was, here's my take. It's sort of like, it's kind of like Van Hagar, right? You know, it's like, it, it's a totally different band, even though more or less like everyone, all the, all the major players are still in it. it. It just feels like a completely different band. And I feel like with both of those acts, if they had changed their name to something else, you know, we would probably look at the material a little bit differently. I think we might actually look at it a little bit better. Cause like when you li listen to like 5150 or Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge, you can't help but look at it as like, well, it's not David Lee Roth. And I feel like when you listen to the sort of major label Butthole Surfers, it seems like, you know, it's passable. It's entertaining. It definitely feels like, uh, you know, we, we, we have the more amplified punk rockabilly on Independent Worm Saloon and then a lot more like Beck, maybe Brand Van 3000 sort of thing going on Electric Larry Land. And I'm not going to talk about the last record because it's a pile of shit. And, but, uh, <laughs> but I just feel like if they hit, you know, Gibby was like, fuck it, man, we're going to change the name to Microwave and be like, Everyone would be like, hey, man, remember Microwave from, like, the 90s? They were pretty cool. You know, they weren't as good as the Butthole Surfers, but that was, like, you know, I'm glad he did that other band, right? I think that's probably – because I think, like, when you talk about the Butthole Surfers, the my neighbor is going to remember, but, you know, Pepper, but, like, yeah. the heads are going to go for the, the real stuff, right? They're going to go for the touch-and-go era, you know, all, all 15 of us. But um, – so I think that's my take. That's like my broad brush stroke and like the, the, the major label stuff. It's yeah. fine, but it feels a little derivative. But if they had a new name change, I'm sure the label was like, There's no, so you got to keep the name. But if they were like anything else, if they named it like Bannister or whatever, <laughs> you know, then, it, then this would be like, oh, man, remember Bannister? They were awesome. You know, they weren't as good as like, you know, summer camp or something, but they were pretty good. So... Your, your made-up names for them actually sound like what I would expect them to name their band if they did that. Totally. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think, I also think that maybe if they'd ended with Electric Larryland as a sort of, eh, that's their middle-of-the-road big label thing. Let's call it a day. Leave on a relative high. Some people are happy. But it's kind of hard to hang it up when you have a legitimate hit. I mean, like, Pepper is a fine song. Yeah. It's a I remember hearing song. it all the time. It was on something recently. Um, yeah, like, Brother Academy. Yes, that was it. So I knew, I knew, I knew that when you came on, hit that I, big after doing, you know, all this other nonsense for like a decade plus to suddenly get like, wait a minute, we actually are getting royalty checks. I mean, I can understand why they'd want to keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then they ended up making a record that they briefly collaborated with Chris... Chris Rock, Kid Rock, right? What? Didn't Kid Rock? I was reading something that Kid Rock had something to do with, um, what was the song? Uh, Shame of Life. I don't. On Weird Revolution, I was reading something that he, he oh, okay. but there was some form of help. He helped write part of it. Oh, oh, he was at a party and he suggested oh, one line and he told everybody that he'd helped write half of it. But there's definitely I was I was when I was doing some research for this, his name cropped up. Uh, um, anybody listening to this who, who, who knows whether this is true or not true, feel free to get in touch somehow. Yeah, phone, phone, phone into our hotline. 
Yeah, call them 555-5555. Go straight to Aaron's mobile. <laughs> but yeah, I think Kid Rock uh, definitely, that Kid Rock uh, collaborated on half writing one of them. Although, like I said, maybe it was, uh, he met him at a party, he suggested one line, and then he went around telling everybody that, yeah, he, he he's now part of the butthole surfers. Uh, he's the fifth butthole. Um, Brenda's already said the last one was a pile of shit. Um, Aaron, final one, pile of shit, or a worthy, a worthy bookend? I mean, it's, I think... It, it's honestly the weirdest they've sound in their whole career. Honestly, it's just, I can't tell if it's a really, really good slash bad tongue in cheek joke, or if they're sincerely going for pop, it just has this like nineties British indie sound, that kind of like rock electronic hybrid thing that I just absolutely despise. It's like, it's about as bad of a fall as, as, as shift work by the fall. Oof. You know, let's not let's not get. No, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, um, but I miss the two drummers. I missed missed the weirdness. It's just it sounds like U two, nineties U two. That's what I was thinking when listening yeah, to it. Like yeah, this could be on Zurupa. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a sort of. And I'm telling you, if it was a Bannister record or Microwave or something, you'd be like, Stadium Rock. I fucking loved Microwave, man. What happened to Microwave? Um, I've just Googled stuff. By the way, while we were talking, um, Weird Revolution's first single, The Shame of Life, was co-written by Haynes and Robert J. Ritchie, better known as Kid Rock. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is the Kid Rock album. But nobody cared what the time Weird Revolution came out. I mean, it's, I don't know. I didn't notice it was released at the time, I don't think. Yeah. I, I did. I, I liked the. There was a track called Venus that had these sitars and stuff. I thought that was all right. There, there's one called Jet Fighters, where I thought I was listening to Natalie and Bruglia's Torn for a second, <laughs> and then it actually became a pretty cool song as by the time it finished. I've now got Torn stuck in my head. Yeah, it's 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 an immediate earworm. But I what I've done is I I, I started singing Torn in my head, and then I started shouting Satan, 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 Satan over it halfway through, and I think it made it an infinitely better song. And you've lost your soul. Yeah. Um. So, have you, dear listener, lost your soul? Uh, that was a terrible fucking segue. Um, but I'm probably going to stick with it. Um. We probably lost. You'll, you'll notice we lost a bit of legs talking about some of the later stuff, but I think most of the passion seems to be held for the earlier days. Uh, most Baja Surfers fans, and I guess most bands, most fans of most bands, um, it's the early stuff or when you get into them that seems to matter. And the later, more commercial stuff tends to get derided by the fans. And uh, I think as Nick said, uh, the more commercial stuff didn't seem to attract new people either, mm-hmm. um, rather than, apart from maybe say Pepper. Um, and so it was two butthole for the commercial people and too commercial for the butthole people. I'm getting tongue twisted with the word butthole and everyone's staring at me. Um, so you've listened to all the tracks on Spotify. If you haven't, you have just heard four people talking about stuff that you have not been paying attention to. So find us on beat.rehab uh, where you'll see links to all the Spotify playlists. Um, any final words, Nick? Do you think this went down as well as you would have hoped? Yeah, maybe even slightly better, to be honest. You know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it was completely hated, except where it was meant to be. 
And I think that's it. Uh, where it was meant to be hated, as Aaron said, the guy shouting at you at a party or that experience in India uh, that you hated at the time. But now you look back to with with some, com some form of longing. Um, Brendan, thank you very much for taking the time uh, from Boston. Aaron, I always forget which Scandinavian country you're in. I'm going to say Norway. That's correct. Yes, thank you for, for your time, uh, Norway. Uh, Nick, uh, I'll see you next time. Oh, next time um, we have a very special double pod coming up. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Uh, enjoy this one. Uh, like us, subscribe to us. If you find the playlist on Spotify, follow it. You know, so we, we know you're listening. And um, oh, uh, see you next time. Cheerio. Cheerio. So that was The Butthole Surfers, one of my favourite bands in my late teens and early 20s, and a curio who still make me happy on occasion. Thank you to Ewan for his tireless work editing these things together and chairing the discussions, and to Aaron T. White and Brendan Emmett Quigley for listening to the albums and sharing their views. If you're in Norway, you can catch Aaron on the stand-up circuit, and Brendan plays for the extraordinary Boston Typewriter Orchestra, whose latest album, Workstation to Workstation, is now available in all the usual places. Thank you also to Jonathan Fisher for the title music. We're hard at work on the next episode, but we're not nearly organised enough for me to want to risk telling you who it'll be. If all goes to plan, it's a huge legacy artist. We like to keep you guessing. Thank you for listening. I'm Nick Hilditch, and the last time I'm in Wichita, I did not give a damn.